0: Good morning, it's Terry Yeadam here, I'm the author of The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity, a Canadian energy guy.
1: Book is available at Amazon.com, of course you can check out his blog as well, he's one of the bloggers that actually became successful in the blog, well by successful it's still around, public energy number <laughs> one, hey, isn't that how we deem success in the blogging world, if you're still around you're successful?
0: If you survive There's something like 6,000 every day To get started So yeah I guess if you're around For a few years
1: You're a success I remember back About 10 years ago And of course I compare the podcast revolution To the blogging revolution But I think they said Like after the 6th Or 10th post On a blog It was like a 95% Abandonment rate Where (laughs) That was the end of it People realized Oh it's a lot of work Of course writers thought Oh you're just gonna Go do my full-time job in your spare time. Okay, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Yep, it's not easy. So let's get to the uh, uh, energy topic at hand here. I got kind of a couple for you. First off, uh, I want you to set the stage a little bit for those people who maybe don't understand your perception when it comes to energy. You're a Canadian, so you're up north. Mm-hmm. You're You're in yep. Alberta. Is that right, Alberta.
0: I'm correct. In Cal- that's correct. In, in, I'm in Calgary, yeah.
1: Okay, so you're Cal. Oh, Flames. There you go. Calgary Flames. Are they still a hockey team? Yep. They. Uh, well, sort of. You, if,
0: you, if you call that hockey. No, they're actually pretty good.
1: They have their ups and downs. Okay, so they didn't, move, they didn't like move like Winnipeg did and relocate. No, and that's correct. No, Quebec still here. and all yeah. that. Okay, good. So, okay, it's been yeah. a while. I, I have a child who's 14, so, you know, I stopped paying attention to sports about 14 years ago. Um, we call it the toy department you know what i'm saying yeah. so anyway uh just you know the the energy is a little bit different in canada than it is in america of course America's more known for the private enterprise side of things whereas in canada it's more known for the socialized uh i guess uh side of things so talk to me a little bit and set the table uh what type of government and how energy is related if you wouldn't mind
0: Sure. In well, you you yeah, th- that's a good way to introduce it. Uh, Canada has been uh, Canada always been kind of broken in parts. Most of the population lives out east, which would be the equivalent of of your um, New York and California dominance of the certain specters of the media, and and, and the power center of Canada has been in Ontario and Quebec. Uh, that's where the biggest population is. They're the oldest part of it. The west was settled. Uh, like like the u.s in the in not that long ago historically speaking and it's just been a resource extractor by and large with some tourism on the coast and um, but the center of it has just been resources and uh, so that that's how it developed it's sort of in isolation sort of quite regional and as as time has gone on here that's just been uh, accentuated uh, as people get more urbanized in, in ontario and quebec and and same as in the united states then the, the hinterlands just become the resource extractors and people kind of lose touch with that a bit. And then in Canada here, like you said, it's more socialistic and we jumped on the, um, the climate change bandwagon earlier here. So the pressure has been building on Canada for more than a decade, for sure. They're probably coming on close to 20 years, I suppose. Pressure has been slowly building on the, the oil and gas sector. That hasn't happened in the United States. The, and the, the biggest impact for the Canadian oil and gas sector is um, an inability to build any pipelines to get product out. So we've had a lot of growth in the oil sands, not lately, but over the past uh, decade. The early you know, 2000, and, 2000 to 2010 were very strong growth in the oil sands. And we were able to build some pipe at that time. And that's since changed. And on the natural gas side, we can't build any pipe either. So so Canada has all of this uh enormous oil and gas resource base that you can't find a market except two existing uh, lines to the United States. The biggest difference with the United States from energy, the energy perspective is the, the United States underwent this massive shale boom and was able to build out the infrastructure to make all that happen. The Marcellus was able to connect, went from 0 BCF nearly to 30 BCF a day and was able to build pipe to connect that to markets. The Permian took off and built uh, pipe and infrastructure to get that to markets offshore terminals were built for for natural gas and uh, the United States became an exporter of, of those products in a huge way uh, so that, that that the free market side of the US has allowed all that to happen whereas Canada has been stagnant for a long time so so the it's a very long story sorry but um, the, the long and the short of it is now we've been kind of in this box for coming on years now since basically since the oil price crash of 2014 we've been struggling here and the political pressure just mounted gets stronger all the time so I, th- I think in some ways the united states is catching up to us in that regard in the pressure that's being applied to the industry so and it's not all bad i don't mean to make it sound like that there's tightening of emissions there's less flaring there's more attention paid to spills and that sort of thing there's um definitely environmental benefits to it but the the other side of it is just the um ridiculous pressure that's being put on to try and wipe out the the industry and, and the our own federal government is large just a good chunk of the federal ruling class politicians that really really don't like the oil and gas sector so uh you see that on the democrat side in the u.s with bernie and elizabeth um and if they get to the power then you might get a taste of what we get
1: Well, that's what I'm kind of wondering, and where I'm going with the next question is, I don't know how closely you're following the United States uh, oil and gas market. I assume you are, because you generally do. Oh, very closely. Uh, Yeah. Early March, I want to say just right on the, even before the first bailout came, uh, they talked about an oil and gas bailout, and Mike Summers president of api was quick to come out in the media and say absolutely not and i kind of joked i said before the reporter even finished the question he just said nope and that really set the stage for kind of the old mentality of we don't take subsidies we don't take bailouts government stay out of things well uh parsley Energy's matt gallagher goes on cnbc couple of weeks later and says, you know, maybe the Texas Railroad Commission should step in and control production. So you, you've got this ideological crossroad happening and we're North Dakota just met the other day at a public meeting on it. Oklahoma's had one. So you got three states now, three big states, Oklahoma, North Dakota and Texas talking about government controlled production. Have you followed this? And as a Canadian, uh, do you got any advice or and or opinions on this?
0: Uh, it, it's a tough spot. I, I totally understand the free market guys um, that I'm a free marketer myself and, and ideally that's how things work best. That's the best allocator of capital. that's the best results you know, or in the long run. Um, that a reality that's hard to, um, to, for people to accept sometimes is that it's not a free market. The oil market is anything but a free market. and the, the US produces 12 12 million barrels a day. Out of a global total of 100 million barrels a day, and that out of that 100 million barrels, the majority comes from heavily manipulated um, uh, producing countries that, that that have government hands involved. And so that to so to stand alone and be a, a free market um, adherent in a market that isn't a free market, it, it's, a, it's 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 it just makes the fight that much harder because you're tying your hands behind your back without having a government go to bat for you or against you I suppose and we've been we've been forced to deal with that in Canada with the apportionment issues because we can't get our our, um, product out of the country so so some government intervention is necessary even to make help infrastructure get built and that sort of thing so when you come to this weird place like we have in short order here if this hadn't if the coronavirus thing hadn't happened this would have played out in slower time and the U.S. would have adapted to an oversupplied market by we've already seen the capital supply kind of dry up even to the um, in the Permian and some of the bigger areas that everyone's share prices are low the debt markets are harder uh, to access so um, the the supply of capital was shrinking and it would have it would have sorted itself out but this is really a crisis time no one's seen a demand collapse like this so to um, for for the the free market to sort through it, it it can be done, but is it necessarily the best way to do it? But if you ask for intervention, then is that opening a can of worms? Um, But I I do think that there's some level of intervention that just happens globally, even if it's at the international level. There are things that that happen which are um, interferences in the free market. So it's a a very tough thing to do, and I I don't have a definitive answer I think that apportionment, uh, which we've seen in Canada here, where everyone just gets cut back proportionally, can can work. And in some ways, it's it's fair. But, um, yeah, I, I understand the arguments against it, though, for
1: sure. Well, that's that's why I kind of wanted to have you on, because you're one that understands that right now, more than ever, the importance of public discussion is needed, because mm-hmm. we're so used to the polarizing way it's been, over the last ten years, that right now, I mean, this is a major shift. This is a major shift. And and like I said, you know, the example I give I think is very appropriate to where when it first came out, this was before the CARES Act they were talking about a bailout. Because to your point from earlier, the oil and gas industry was getting hit before the corona shutdown, before the COVID nineteen shutdown. What? Absolutely. You you and I were talking about this last year, and yep. they, they can go back in the interviews and check them out at crudelife.com go to our different social media pages, check it out, but you and I were having this discussion last year about the energy industry having a very difficult year, but we thought it was because of a 16-year-old girl with Asperger's going around the country, <laughs> going around the world, talking about how oil and gas is killing babies. And that's what she was You're doing. Right. I actually, I watched some of the speeches she was giving. Wow, I I get it. I oh, get it perfect. now. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's incredible. I mean, she's a terrific performer. And
0: yeah, it's pretty inflammatory stuff. It is. it is. It's
1: it's aggressive. It is very aggressive, and the language is is something else. So you know, be that as it may, um, that's where I wanted to go next with this. This is my concern. The environmental movement has gotten so big, and it has gotten so influential in government that once that hand of government gets involved, like like you said before, where, where does where does it stop? And so, I wanted to get your opinion on some something like this environmental wild card um, that is a very real thing. Uh, to where you actually in in Canada have mentioned before that the queen owns the land, you guys just have the right to use it. And I thought, I think that's just an amazing way to look at it, you know, like, oh, wow. So to me, if that happens in the U.S., I kind of see that perception changing more like the Canadian perception than the American perception, and I think the oil and gas industry is symbolic of that. Anyway, so your thoughts on uh, my really long question turned into... An opinion.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'll give you my two cents on that. And one thing I'm going to jump in, and I'm going to correct you, and I'm going to ask you to to forevermore change your way of speech. <laughs> um, and I'm just joking, but uh, I think we need to stop talking about the environmental movement um, because I think that's creating a huge problem. Because we 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 hand the we hand the moral high ground to these people when we call them environmentalists. I know a lot of oil and gas people that are environmentalists. I know a lot of geologists that care more about the, the, the care of the earth than anybody. And I think that there's an environmental movement and there's a climate change movement. And I, there's, there's the, the oil and gas sector can be environmentalists as, as much as anybody else. The fact that we provide the fuel for the world to survive doesn't preclude us from being environmentalists. The climate change movement is something totally different. That's a political beast. And I think they're using the environment as a means to a political end—more government control, more whatever else. So I think that's a slippery slope. But I think that the climate activist movement—they love this when we call them environmentalists, because we we make them sound like the enemy, and they go, "Oh, look at that—they don't like environmentalists." By definition, we're we're setting ourselves up for failure when we talk about them as the good guys. And 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 I think that's just a. Um, I would love to just put a stake in the heart of that uh, that tactic. Um, because we can be environmentalists as much as they can and when somebody, everybody uses the fuel, right? Everyone uses gasoline, everyone uses natural gas, whether they know it or not, it's in everything we have. And when we do a better job of producing that and a cleaner job of producing that, we're the environmentalists. They, they don't have any right to that high ground by trying to kill off the industry. So I, I think that, I, that that's where I would like to reframe this whole debate, and then, then it gets into the whole wider thing of the, the pressure that's being put on. Um, and, and I think the the Gretas of the world who, who control the, the media channels, for sure, um, they, they get their power from, from that because they've gotten away with that for so long.
1: That's why we love having you on. I've never, you know, we got to take a step back because I never thought of it like that, and that's a great way to really... Re-establish the narrative Because you're right It is a political movement It There's uh-huh. There's so much behind it And you know And the other thing That I, I always think of With climate change Is that It's another word For earth changes There was an old uh, philosophy Behind earth changes Is that you know The uh-huh. the wobbling of the earth And the movement Of the sun and the moon And the stars and everything Has a gradual change over the earth they i think Mm -hmm. used to cite pangea as an example i'm not is pangea not a thing anymore does people not understand that um i haven't heard that in a long time well there used to be a time when all the continents were together and they called it pangea and then it drifted apart to where we are today and and that that happened just through the dawn of time and and through uh the evolution of the planet and so there's a there is a science called earth changes and it's interesting how the climate change movement mimics that it's almost like it took it over and it's yeah it's disturbing to me because that was a really good hippie science for a long time <laughs> and it was almost almost in the fringe like uh overnight coast to coast art bell aliens uh follow-you-up type scientists, you know what I mean, for a long time. And now it's being ushered in by the politicians under a different name. So I just, I find it just comical. But uh, I I wanted to get to your website. Oh, go ahead. So Sorry.
0: I just say, I I call it their Trojan horse movement, where they they utilize the environment to to smuggle in a bunch of politicians behind the wall. I wrote about this in my book, um, that people... I think it's the waters are muddied and they like it that way. Like, but what are we most envir- what are we most worried about environmentally? Is it uh, the the loss of natural habitat? Is it pollution? Is it uh, spills? Is it just the overall footprint uh, of mining and extraction of of everything, minerals? And you can't just call oil and gas part of the problem because it's I mean the, you can't single it out so much because it's all part of the chain if you want anything if you want a cell phone then you need oil and gas and you need steel and you need aluminum and you need all of these things so it, um so what do you want to focus on do we want to focus on uh reducing our footprint uh but the climate change thing it, it just that's just a hammer that they can wander around and, and pound anything that looks like a nail to them because everything goes right it's like oh of children are starving in India, well, that's because of climate change. Or, you know, there are oceans rising in Miami, that's because of climate change. The ice caps are melting, it's climate change. The, the, the minorities are suffering more than the others, that's climate change. So they, they, they love that. So we have to take that environmental tool out of their hands.
1: Let's transition to natural gas a little bit. You and I have talked about this before. Natural gas is a foundation fuel, not a bridge fuel. Uh, Michael Moore uh-huh. came out with Planet of the Humans and I always tell people Michael Moore's not in it it's it, he just is back in it some other guy uh-huh. you know is yeah. in it and it's I, I really I've got some opinions on it I'd like to know your thoughts as well but um, the one thing that I thought that movie showed more than anything was uh, there was some biomass things and I'm looking at your website and you've got an article on that we'll get to that in just a second but it's the natural gas side of really, it's more of a foundation fuel for the next unforeseeable future than it is a bridge fuel. Uh, you, you're involved with a natural gas company, so you know, you've got some bias, but uh, you also have some knowledge that a lot of people don't have either. So, um, as somebody who's generally impartial, talk to me about uh, natural gas, where we're at, where you see things going, and the... Um, tie in, I guess, how the uh, Planet of the Humans basically showed that you can't do anything without natural gas today.
0: Right, right. Um, Yeah, just a a bit on that film for a second, which I I don't know if you've heard, but it's been yanked off of YouTube, um, and hopefully it'll make an appearance soon, but uh, somebody in there objected to their usage of about four seconds of footage, and they um, went straight to YouTube and demanded that the film be taken down. So anyways, censorship at its finest, but hopefully it'll be back up soon. Uh, if you can see it, watch it. It's not perfect, for sure. Uh, Michael Moore's anti-business, anti-capitalist, and, and I've, I've um, th- that's one side of his reporting that's never appealed to me. But I do like how he challenges preconceived notions. He, when he took on the auto sector, I thought there was a lot of merit to his arguments. And there tends to be a lot of, when he takes on Wall Street, there's merit to his arguments. And when he takes on the environment, or not, I did it myself, the climate change movement, um, there's merit to his arguments too and you're right, you can't do anything without natural gas, you can't These, these a, a wind and solar system is it does not work on any large scale, there are no batteries that, that can replace um, the base load power of uh, natural gas or coal even if we get away from coal and whoever came up with the term that natural gas is a foundation fuel and not a bridge fuel I think that's brilliant because it is it's just, if you want to if you want to meet the world's Uh, climate change targets the the, you could the quickest and easiest way to do it is to get rid of coal and replace it all with natural gas and it's plentiful and there's um uh, we have we have great distribution systems set up for it already which is something that people uh neglect to think about when they talk about a transition is to rebuild the world's infrastructure is is virtually impossible in in a day and age when it's hard to build anything because of nimbyism and protesters and there's always somebody fighting something so we already have this massive infrastructure set up for natural gas so and it it works it just works and it works cleanly and it's better than coal and and i think still think nuclear is a great thing too but that has a lot of opponents um on the activist side also uh so natural gas you're right i probably do have a bias because i work in the industry but but the flip side is also as you mentioned that people that work in this industry understand it better and maybe we're proponents because we can see how important it is not just because um it's uh it's our livelihood
1: the one thing i wish that the governments if they're going to get involved and i mean this is a this whole free market versus subsidies versus um you know controlling production thing the the part that they you know talk about is flaring and emissions are down because less drilling's going on that's great and everything but if we're going to bring it back and we're going to start bringing them on why don't they start putting some of those crazy science projects out there you know subsidizing those a little bit then if they're gonna that's the thing I mean if they're gonna start picking winners and losers I still go back to the natural gas crazy bitcoin miners and the guys who are turning into fuel on site and all kinds of different things they can solve a lot of these problems and be a nice little bridge and fix and everything but it just seems government's doing the job that government always does which is centralizing power and they want all Uh those pipelines built and it they'll they'll throw a dog a bone occasionally to make sure one of these crazy scientists get in the paper and get some little media exposure but it just seems overall the bigger picture they're just not supporting the way that they're trying to get the centralization done um i don't know if that's anything that that you're qualified to talk about or or notice or anything along those lines but that's just been my observation when it comes to some of the natural gas well yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah, you're right. I'm probably not qualified. The, the the thoughts that I have on there extend a little bit into um, the if if you want to make prog if you want to make progress on cleaning up the environment or or whatever or reducing emissions, then um, you, you there there has to be a we have to limit consumption somehow. And the way that that works best is through the price mechanism. And natural gas is one of the cheapest fuels out there right now. So it makes sense that it's being adopted more. And that's, that's one of the natural pathways to making the world cleaner and greener is if we go to natural gas and the market is telling us that there's a lot of natural gas, so we should be moving it towards it instead of fighting against it. So I don't think that answers your question directly, but the, the, the price mechanism ultimately is the best way to do it rather than having governments trying to, to force um, policies which are just pushing a boulder uphill and they don't work, anyways. If you get too reliant on renewables, you create other problems because they they haven't been sorted out by the people that are that are operating the electrical grid, for example, or the distribution systems. If it happens as a as a natural process, then 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 we can get there because the market is incented to it. Like you said, there's a lot of people with a lot of ideas, and when the when the market is ready for them, they will um, they will become a part of the, the dialogue.
1: Well, I just look at the amount of. Uh, I guess ancillary that goes into a lot of the natural gas science projects you know you're talking about shipping containers full of computers and shipping containers full of levers and steel pipes and all kinds of different things versus you know what the wind turbines are and the solar panels are and the amount of mining that goes into that and the amount of materials and you know, non-biodegradable fiberglass and all kinds of different things that I would think that the actual subsidies going towards the natural gas projects would be greener <laughs> than, than what they're trying yeah. to, than what the science projects are for the solar and the wind projects that have failed over the last 40 years. That's what I'm getting yeah, at yeah. is that the, it, the body of work's been done.
0: Right, right. And at the end of the day, even if you put all of that money into wind and solar you're still left with intermittent power which isn't how we live that's not how the world works we don't
1: yeah don't and and, things, and people forget that fact too yeah
0: so. yeah yeah and it's it's yeah just covered up or 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 now the um the media onslaught is that well don't worry batteries are coming well we've been saying that for a hundred years that there's batteries coming and they are making they're they're making advances in batteries for sure but in, on the scale of the power that we consume there's there's nothing even on the horizon battery wise that could that could make that system work store enough power to to cause society to function when the sun goes down and the wind quits blowing because you have to prepare for both that there there are times when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine and you need you need full capacity unless people are willing to if you can convince society to say okay when the sun goes down I will dial back my power consumption by 50% and if the wind and wind dies down and the sun quits blowing I'll dial it back by 90% if you can convince people to work that way then you got a plan but I don't see it happening.
1: Public Energy number 1 is the website. Terry Edom is the guest. He's also the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity which is available at Amazon and uh barnesandnoble.com places like that. I assume was it right barnesandnoble.com or did I just throw that out there? It is. Yeah. Okay, Barnes good. and Noble. Yep. I figured you were like one of those legit authors. So, uh, just kind of wrapping up a little bit, getting back to the original topic at hand, which is really the crossroads and the nexus that the United States industry is at, which is you've got kind of an older mindset of of free market, no subsidies. And then you've got this kind of younger CEO and states now uh, having discussions of whether there should be government controlled. Oil and gas production. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting, too, and I'll just, you know, like I say, I'd like to wrap this up because we both have lives to get to, but uh, I I do want to just mention one thing. If my memory serves me correctly, and most times it does still, which is nice, I still like that, Um, not all the time, but most times it does, is that before this fracking boom, this, this, uh, you know, happened in what, about 2005, we'll call it. Last 15 years? Sorry, sure. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I always bring up the 90s where low oil prices, but even if you go back to the 70s when the last time the railroad, uh, Texas Railroad Commission kind of controlled production, uh, most of the private oil and gas drilling for the globe was only about 10, 12, 15%. So it wasn't mm-hmm. until the fracking boom that the shale boom where the privatization of the oil and gas companies took off. So I think that's an interesting dynamic in this, too, that you know we're dealing with a couple generations that aren't used to having government intervention to the tune to where private oil and gas companies were only 10% of the marketplace in the globe. So uh, I don't know if you yeah. you remember that or if, or if I'm out of line. Well, on, I know my numbers are loose, but...
0: No, no, that and that's fine. It's the concept that matters. And it's actually a very interesting... Uh, angle and, and something that, that should have been mentioned earlier, and, and uh, I'm glad you brought it up. So Canada went through the similar sort of thing when the oil, when the oil sands, the price of oil first took off around 2,000. It went from 20 dollars a barrel up to a steady climb up to 100 and some dollars a barrel, and that, that had never happened before, which which caused new plays to develop or new um, uh, areas to be developed, like the oil sands. Everyone's known that they were there for. Hundreds of years, and and all of a sudden they were economic, and it was an absolute boom. Where anybody, there were people going up there getting jobs, driving trucks, and making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and you couldn't find housing. And and this will sound familiar for the Permian people. Um, it was just such an absolute boom that that um, if you walk down the street, you get ten job offers, and and that that that's an unnatural state of affairs too, caused by a, a, a rapid a, Historically speaking, uh, dislocation of prices, which makes something economic, and then the same thing happened in the shale boom in the U.S. The new technology and the price of oil all of a sudden just changed everything. So historically, that's it's important to keep that in context too. That these are such um, rapid and outsized increases in um, in production that it's just totally destabilizing for everything. You're, you're we, ne- we never had to deal with it on that order of magnitude before when in like the the, i've heard lots of stories out of texas and new mexico about what the conditions there like the 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 worker influx and the the amount of money being made and, and the um just the amount of money being thrown around to get this developed and it's it's these boom times other industries i don't think see them quite like the oil patch does especially because they're up and down it goes up that quick and it goes down that quick and and we haven't had one of this magnitude, <clears throat> excuse me, in a long time. But there's there's a reason that the the oil patch is famous for blooms and busts. Is this is kind of how it goes. This one was just um, far bigger than anything we've seen before. So I think people have to keep that in context too. That we're it's a, it's sort of a new era in terms of um, this this uh, size of growth. Like I mean, to turn the oil, to turn the United States from a net oil importer to an oil exporter over the span of a decade it's just like unheard of in the world right for a country the size of the united states so that's very dislocating in itself so if people are having trouble trying to make sense of where the government should fit in all of this that's understandable because it's, it's just such a, a strange um phenomena
1: i will mention this too is that i i'm a big fan of the free market i'm a big fan of small business because i love creativity i love quick and nimble I also understand the role of corporations. I also understand that. So I, I understand the big, slow, boulder moving down the, you know, the down the down the hill type mm-hmm. of a thing. But at the same time, I also understand and appreciate the small business. And I'm looking at publicenergynumberone.com. That's your website. Hey, Shell, not so fast. Come back for a chat. That's <laughs> that's your that's your title of your your blog entry that you have and 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 i wanted to tie that in with a comment vicky steiner mentioned to me when she went up to alaska to spoke uh, speak at the legislative body which was up in alaska it's like state-owned oil so they only have basically two companies shell and bp and to get anything done it takes years sometimes north dakota you can get it done in like three days, you know what I mean? So uh, that, that's Probably, that, yeah. that's the different dynamic of things. Well, and maybe I'm being 30 days, we'll call it, whatever it is. But yeah, you, no. you, you understand but, my deal. You're talking about, hey, Shell, yeah. come back so fast. It made me remind, uh, reminded me of that to where when you're dealing with uh, government control, it just slows things down quite a bit. So it's kind of a transition for you to comment on that and then also... Go into your blog, if you wouldn't mind.
0: Oh, sure. Well, and, and that's a, yeah, I, I wrote about this in my book, too. That's a challenge for everyone to understand is that uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago, um, the big oil ruled the world kind of. There's always been an active junior market, of course, and smaller industries, but with the big petroleum world was controlled by state oil companies, like you said, and then the, the big um, big oil, which, w- which developed a lot of those concessions on behalf of those countries, so they have their own way of working, and it's slow, and it's bureaucratic, and it's it's multi-decade the way that they look at things. And then and then running around on the ground are all of these smaller guys who who are innovative, and they get things done. And then they historically have always just been bought up in in, in ever bigger like a big um, a food chain where they ultimately wind up in the big companies anyway. So so it's the 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 innovative sector which keeps things it's smaller sector which keeps things growing in in my opinion rather than the 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 big oil guys who are more bureaucratic they do have their own breakthroughs of course but the dynamism of small business is what really keeps things humming the the blog that i wrote there was about shell shell is kind of um and i, I have a lot of respect for shell in general but they seem like they've been worried more about their image than the substance of what they're doing lately and they're um they they make a lot of noise in their in their pr material about how green they are and how they're going to renewable and now ESG, environmental, social and gov- governance issues are their, their priority. And um, they, they sold off all of their oil sands because um, just because they didn't like being associated with it, even though it was perfectly integrated with their, their, their Shell is very good at doing an integrated business model where they, they have the, the, they develop the production, they, they develop a marketing mechanism for it, including transportation. They refine it and they sell it through their own retail chains around the world. And they 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 brag about that in their in their material in their annual report. They're saying how critical it is to have an integrated project from one end to the other. And then in Canada, they sold off the production arm. And so I was just kind of challenging them that saying, well, if it's so important, why did you do that? Sell off just the oil sands? And the the answer is because it's just for reputational purposes only. But at the same time, they sold off their oil sands for something like twelve billion dollars Canadian. They turned around and they dumped all that money into Nigeria. So how does that help the world and they still produce more than more than half their production is still oil but you don't you don't get that out of their pr materials so in that that was i was challenging them there on on like could you be a little bit more consistent or 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 instead of just pandering to that are you doing any good by pandering to that crowd when you're still producing as much oil as anybody else Except the only difference is you're going to parts of the world where nobody looks. You go to you invest in Russia, you invest in uh, offshore deep water, and you you invest in Nigeria and these places where where there's no scrutiny. And 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 do you think that's good? Is that is that admirable behavior? Is that helping anything? Um, and and then they they did something in Canada where they they took a a field that had a bunch of potential liabilities as an old sour gas field, and they sold it off to a, a very small company. Um, a very capable small company, but small companies are having a very tough go of it these days. And the regulator in Alberta said, not so fast, we're not going to let you sell that to a small company because there's a risk that they could go under, as has been happening in Canada. And then the uh, province will get left with the abandonment liabilities. And and so the regulator in the province here blocked the sale. And so I was just calling, calling that up there too and saying, why are you doing this and um is this sort of the best practices that you want to show the world when you shine some light on it is this what you really you you, you're acting green but are you really being green so that was i was just challenging shell a little bit there and incidentally i heard back from two people that worked at shell or one that does work at shell and one that retired from shell and they both said they loved the article so i was a bit surprised at that but
1: well, sometimes people like when you got to pr- present a different point of view. You know, that's one of the reasons why we like to have our international energy expert and author and blogger and writer. You still doing the BoE report too?
0: I do. Yep. Yep. Try and keep busy.
1: Yep. Well, he's an author of "End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity," writer for the BoE report, and blogger for Public Energy Number One. And he also has a day job in the natural gas world. So one of the busiest guys in energy that we know. So. Uh, where where can people uh, find you these days? As far as a plug for you,
0: sure. Um, my website is uh, yeah, Public Energy Number One, and uh, on the BOE report, the Canadian Energy uh, site that has a pretty good commentary about everything that's happening on the on the Canadian scene and also international is covered too. And my, my blogs are there regularly. So, yeah, uh, Look forward to more readers and send me an email. My emails at the end of every BOE report post that I do. It's on my website you can get a hold of me and um it's uh if you you there's a contact at the back of my book too so maybe buy the book is the best way to get my email address there's a plug